Good morning, Grace. You all awake? Good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for giving us another day. Thank you for spring. Thank you because of the God of seasons. Father, we commit this hour to you. We ask that you come to us through your power, the Holy Spirit. Let your presence be known. Open our hearts, our minds, and our soul that we may be blessed. Help us to gain understanding so that we can use that wisdom to do the things that you want us to do. Father, I ask that you speak through me so that your word may be self-evident, not what I want to say, but what you need to say to us today. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we have a topic to talk about today. It's called forgiveness. Uh, what is it? What is not? Um, is this work? This remote doesn't work. Huh? Mm. I guess it's not working. Oh, good. Now, sometimes we have traditions that have been handed down to us by our parents or our colleagues, whatever that may be, but they may not be true. Uh, Neil Anderson, in his book, Bondage Breaker, he said, most of the ground that Satan gains in life of Christian is due to unforgiveness. It is hard to figure out why, but we realize it has been proven that unforgiveness breeds bitterness, resentment, anger, unkindness, even despair, and lack of hope. And some people commit suicide even for that. Nothing is more important for us than to know what forgiveness is and what is not. Therefore, today we're going to cover five myths or should you call five lies that we as believers believe about what forgiveness is, is and what is not. And then we're going to cover six truths about what forgiveness is. And contrary to what people believe uh, is that forgiveness is not forgetting. Now, if you want to forget things, it doesn't happen that way. But... I notice that the moment I decide to forget something is the moment it stays. So it doesn't work that way. They will never do. Now, people say that we need to, for, to forgive and forget. Now, one thing we need to understand, we are created in the image of God, and God has a brain. That's why he gave you one. So let's get true to that. So contrary to that, God does not forget. Now, there is a bad theological debate going on with the people saying in, in uh, Jeremiah 31, 34 says, I will forgive, I'll forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Now, if somebody has a brain, they have to remember things that happen. But the language used by the prophet there is a, it's a metaphor. It's a word picture designed to emphasize God's gracious determination 
and the resolution not to hold us liable for our sins. He has canceled our debt and will never demand a payment. If God could literally forget, it will undermine his omniscience. Now, there are three primary attributes of God that make who God is. Omniscience, man means he knows everything, past, present, future. Second, omnipotence, he is all-powerful. And then, omnipresence, omnipresence, that means he is everywhere at the same time. Therefore, if we, we, we just do injustice to the word of God when we say in Jeremiah 31, 34, it's saying that God is forgetting. It's a metaphor used to describe how God decides on himself that he's not going to hold you accountable for things that you have done, although you deserve punishment. So it's not forgetting. It's the decision he makes to forego that because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you and I. So, in reality, God decides he's going to hold you accountable. Now, the next thing is forgive and forget. Quite simply, it is psychologically impossible for you and I to forget things that the people have done to us. As soon as you make up your mind that you're going to forget something, the more it sticks to your memory, if you have noticed that. Now, of course, over time, we forget because of things that happen in life. We become older, and certain things fade from our memory because it's not intentional. They decide to go away. Now, that will happen but not intentional. And the reason I'm saying this is because contrary to what we have led to believe, forgiveness is not forgetting because it's emotionally impossible to do that. And why that is? Because you have a brain and I have one. And you have a brain, it's going to capture things. It's a big photographic memory, and a computer storage that keeps things, and especially the bad stuff. Have you ever noticed that? You forget everything good, but all the bad stuff, they're just sitting right there. That's unfortunate, but that's what it is. So we better face the reality that's what we're dealing with. Now, it is emotionally impossible to forget something because it has happened to you. Give me a story here. Let's suppose Jane succeed in two, uh, for the next two months forgetting what Sally did to her. She is getting along very well, and I have not given a second thought about Sally's sin. Then Jane is told that Sally did the same thing to Mary, and she immediately remembers the offense that happened to her because of what Sally had done to her. She suddenly laden with guilt for failure to forget. That sounds like you and I. They did that to me too. What she thought she had forgotten forever and put out her mind came rushing back involuntarily to her. Was she believed she was a hypocrite because she, she promised to forgive and, she and forget and she didn't forget. Does that sound familiar to you? That's what we deal with every day. Now, contrary to what 
many have to tell you. It's important to understand that we have a memory, and we're good at this. We're good at cussing people out. Yeah, you, you do, I do, we do that all the time. Notice those guys, they don't have a mask, coronavirus all over the place. So, they're not, they're not worried about anything else except what is going on. Now, you know you're not supposed to do these things when you're angry, but we nevertheless do it, unfortunately. And then you go home and say, why did I do that? Now, I had to refresh my memory for the past few weeks because I remember this in high school. I didn't do biology in college because I wasn't measuring that one. Now, we ha all we have this. You all got this. If you don't have this, you'll be here. So, called amygdala. Amygdala is one of the fashion of the brain, uh, a deep-seated temporal robe, and it also has what we call automated responses associated with the fear, emotional responses. Now, the next one is very important. That's why you don't forget. Processing and consolidating memories. Did you hear that? Now, the way this works is the amygdala is best known as part of the brain that drives the so-called fight or fright. That's why you see some people learn from the situation and some people fight. So now you understand. I don't know which side you are. Me, I'm going to probably stay and fight. Now, while it is often associated with body fear and stress respons responses, it is play a pivotal role in memory and what that is. Its role is one role we are very familiar with when it comes to amygdala and memory is that the emotional salience are prominent. If you have an emotional experience, amygdala seems to tag Notice, tag, you tag something, you make it familiar, you categorize it, put it in a specific place for future reference. In essence, when you tag it, that memory, in a way that is better remembered, it acts like a big, uh, like a tera, or a storage, or for future reference, or a big, gigantic computer. Now, if you had traumatic event, notice I use the word traumatic event, Amagdara, what does is it becomes laser focused, it, it, got, it get what we call tunnel vision orientation. And in fact, you can see the minuteness of details, sounds, color, and even smell, even if that thing happened 20 years ago. That's what it does. Now, I tell my student, uh, you want to, to, to study for the test, you need to prepare several days. Because if you're going to be memorizing when you're coming from home, it's not going to work. Because you're going to forget. It's not going to be prominent enough. But all you guys know that if everything in your house was where it's supposed to be, you can literally cross your eyes and go where you need to go. Because it has gone over and over again and it has been recorded and categorized and stored. That's why you can't forget things, and especially bad stuff and especially traumatic events. So when you go to a counselor, they're not going to help you to remove the problem. They're going to equip you with the tools to manage the problem. 
That's what happens. They don't believe in the problem. They give you the ability to work through the issues, although they're going to be there so they don't overcome you, but you learn tools to alleviate the problem. That's why you can forget all that. Now, it also has what we call reward processing and decision-making involved with this also. So it's important to understand that. The next thing is, myth is that forgiving someone does not mean you no longer feel the pain of the offense. Sometimes we have that in our mind. It doesn't work that way. In most cases, the only way you can stop hurting is stop feeding. And the only way you can stop feeding is dying emotionally or dying physically. But the Satan lies to us that we are not supposed to be feeding that way. But you have a body, and you have feelings, you have emotions, you have moods, and you have all the traumatic things that goes in your life, good, the bad, and ugly. So we need to understand that. Now, but passionless machines can neither truly love God or others. This may be the primary reason why people hesitate to forgive. They know they cannot feel the sting, they can feel the sting, of, they cannot, excuse me, they know they cannot stop the feeling of the sting of sin against them, and they don't want to be insincere when they forgive, when they know down deep inside they have not forgiven. That's why sometimes some of us do not do it. The next one is forgiving someone who, have forgiven, who has sinned against you and does not, does not mean you cease too long for justice. Now, if you look in our prisons today, we have a lot of avengers in there because they felt they had been wronged and they had to take matters in their own hands. But uh, the scripture tells us here, beloved, we believers, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the love of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So what is he saying? I don't have responsibility to go fight somebody else. But I give it to God, and he does a very good job at it. And that was he's talking about. And sometimes we forget that. And when we forget that, we become judges and a jury, and we mess things up. Case in point, you all know that picture. The children of Israel have been in Egypt for 430 years. Most of those years, they were slaves. And now they have been released, and they are going back, they're going to the land of promise, and the Egyptian people changed their mind, and they came, we need to get the slaves back. And God said, not in your lifetime. So he parted the way, they walked through, and these guys thought that the miracle was theirs too. And they started going. In the midst of it, God brought the water back, and they all died. See, when God avenged his own, he does it spectacularly, and everybody's going to know it. When you do it, you mess it up for yourself, and God is not in it. And that's the problem. The next is Miriam and Aaron. Miriam and Aaron are brother and sister to Moses, and they have a problem, which we see in our churches today, even in our church here. Prejudice, racism. Moses happened to buy a Kushite who was a black woman. And you know those people who don't want to deal with the elephant in the room? 
You want to go around? I'm not one of those. I'm going to just say your says, but <laughs> that's me. Now, so they decided they're going to tell Moses, who made you our leader? But the issue was not his leadership, but the woman he had married, they didn't like. So they came against him. Aaron repented quickly, and Miriam refused. And because of that, God decided to give her what we call leprosy. That's how God sees when people are seeing other people less than they are and think they're better than somebody else. And you know what a leper does? They get all these disease that uh, their body part falling apart and everything. And they're ostracized and put in a place where they don't have to be in front of other people. And you're not supposed to come to congregation now. God wanted her to understand how it feels for other people to be demeaned because of their color, creed, and whatever you. And she got leprosy until she repented. That's how God deals with issues like that. In the book of First Kings, we have a King Jeroboam who is a sinner and he's not obeying God. And a man of God is sent there. And when the man of God is sent there, he comes down and curses the altar where they were sacrificing things and they fell apart in halves. And he was mad, he said, a less than man. And once he pointed his hands, the hands shriveled, so to speak. He couldn't pull it back. He started whining, well, man of God, pray for me, please. I repent. So the man of God prayed for him and hands were restored. But God had made his point that you don't point at the man of God doing his work. God, I'm showing you this to understand that the battle is not yours. It's God's. Give it to God and you do well. Now, the next one is forgiveness does not mean you make it easy for the offending person who hurt you. Uh, you need to, make, to put boundaries into place. That is your responsibility and mine. Uh, several years ago, uh, this is a very good book to read, by the way. I'm recommending for everyone, if you've never read this, if you don't know how to say no and yes, you need to understand, that's a very good book. I went through it with my son, who is sitting right there. Thank you for coming. Now, Jonathan, and uh, because we, we need to establish some boundaries before he went to college and all that, because we saw some things going on. And we, we went through one summer, I sat down with him and I went through this. And it helped me. Actually, once in a while, I go back to it. Also, my wife through, went through it. My wife is very good. She, she, is, she is a people person. So people take advantage of her. So I said, Man, uh, that's not working. Here's the book. <laughs> so, so the bottom line is, when somebody hurts you, you can forgive, but you can move on and put some boundaries. By the way, when you put boundaries, people are going to even tell you, how dare you, even the person who offended you, who offended you they're going to say, how dare you just, you just prove that you did not mean what you said when you said you forgive me. Don't take that. That is manipulation. That's a demonic activity right there. So, forgiveness does not mean you're passive and you become a doormat for somebody else. So you need to understand that. And the fifth, one other thing we need to understand that forgiveness is a continuous thing. Remember, God is forgiving you every day. Today we are singing the masses of God are new every morning, and we are supposed, because we are given that mercy, also we need to give it the same way. So he says, most often this is a process that you have to do every day, and you have to remind yourself whenever you see Johnny and Mary coming the other side, self, you forgive them. 
and probably sprinkle the Lord's prayer in there. <laughs> you know, it says, forgive our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Meaning, let go of the wrong and the resentment other done, people have done for you, to, or to you. That's what it's saying. Now, before I go on to the point we are talking about here, in 2003, having been, been here for 15 years without going home, I decided, my wife encouraged me to go home because I needed to settle the debt with my father. Some of you helped me with the tickets and other things. And I went... Now, I knew my father's not going to receive it, but I, I took the plane and I went 15,000 miles away to change because I needed to go on with my life because I, I didn't want to deal with, I wanted to, to go on to do the things that God wanted me to do, but I had to settle the debt that have Gokar several years before. So when I went, we said, we had a site with my father and I to talk. And you know, uh, these traditional people, they don't want to hear because you're, you're, you're still a kid, you know. So I said, I'm not coming you here to you as a son. I'm coming to you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say you're saying, you're, since you're saying you're a believer, we're going to deal it from that perspective. So when I continued to itemize things, itemize things, I didn't know I have those so many things in my life. So I itemized stuff. He, he couldn't handle it. He started moving away from me, and I still following. So I followed. He tried to get to ride in the bike. I got, I hold the bike down and I, we, we say, we are not going anywhere. This is going to be done today. So I said what I had to say for 30 minutes. Then he went with his bike. He didn't look back. And I left there. So the guy who had, who had brought me, I, I rented a vehicle from my relative. So he asked me, how did it go? I said, it went. <laughs> so 30 minutes later, he asked me, how did it go? I just told you it went. I said, I know. Did he apologize? Nope. So he said, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I'm going to have to pray about it. So he said, you know, we have elders here. You know, we can, they can help you with this too. You know, we have elders in Kenya, so in case you didn't know. <laughs> well, it's a custom. So I said, I don't feel like doing that. He said, oh, you're gonna have to, you came 16,000 miles away, you need to change it. You have not been here for 15 years, you need to change it then. So next mo I went to my sister the next morning. I saw one of the relatives come. I have brought some things for my dad and have left them. He, he, he sent them back. He said he doesn't want them. Okay, that's how mad he was. Because how dare his child tell him about the things he have done long for all those years. So I look at the young man. I said, you seem to be the same height. What shoes do you wear? Same thing. Say, keep them. He looked at me. All these? If you don't like them, you can sell them. Just keep them. So the next time I went to my dad, we, brought, we didn't tell him we were coming. We brought some people, called the people who knew the elders, and we sat down, two other elders and the other guy. And I went on the same thing again. And the people said, hey, you, I, we know, I remember you did that. I remember you did that. So what are you going to do about it? Now, the old man couldn't say much. He said, if you see a stupid old man doing evil stuff, you can forgive him. <laughs> I knew that's the only apology I'm going to get. But you know what? I had a closure. I had to set this record straight so that I can go on to serve God. 
because I'll be my own captive if I didn't release it. And that's what God is asking you to do. Grace, for the last five years, we have been spinning wheels in our church. I'm speaking to you guys now. I also met with a lot of you for the last three months, we and elders. And one thing we found out is we are stagnated. Yeah, believe me or not, we are stagnated. And one other thing is we have unresolved issues that we need to deal with them personally in our lives, before God and before others, either by email or whatever you have to do, in order for us to grow and become what God wants us to be. We have to be willing to go and repent and apologize. And even if somebody doesn't apologize to you, you need to go to them and set it straight so that you can move on. This church is not going to grow unless we do that, ladies and gentlemen. We are not going to go anywhere if we are not going to settle those old stuff. We brought a pastor here. He was not perfect. But we are not perfect either. You may not like me after this message. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because I'm going to tell you one thing. I wrote four different messages. And God said, nope. And nope. Nope. Then he gave me this one. He said, yes. But I don't want to do this. He said, you're going to have to do it. And therefore, I sat down. And today we're going to talk about the five truths of forgiveness that we need to understand. Come from the book of Ephesians, says, Do not let unwholesome, foul, profane, worthless, vulgar word ever come out of your mouth, but only such speech as good of building up others according to the need of the occasion, so that all be, will be blessed will be a blessing to those who hear you speak. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but seek to please him by him who you have been sealed and marked and blended as God's own for the day of redemption. And the final deliverance from the consequences of sin. Let all bitterness and wrath, and anger, and clamor, which means perpetual animosity, resentment, strife, fault-finding, slander for put away from you, along with every kind of malice, or spitefulness, verbal abuse, malevolence. Be kind and helpful to one another, tender-hearted, compassion, compassionate, understanding, forgiving one another, Ladry and freely, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. So, if God has forgiven us, we need to understand something we need to do. Number one, God in Christ forgave us by observing in himself the destructive and painful consequences of our sin against him. And if God did that, he is asking you to do the same. And Jesus said, a servant is no greater than his master. The master is asking that you and I need to do the same he did for us. There is the story given about a missionary in Hong Kong. Her name is Jackie uh, Puringa. 
a missionary and a church planter in Hong Kong whose remarkable life stories is told in her autobiography called Chasing the Dragon. One incident occurred in early years of Jackie's ministry that illustrates the point I'm trying to make. A young man named Apec had joined the triad, the crime syndicate of Hong Kong. When he was only 12 years of age, he soon became supported financially by a prostitute who was uh, 13 year, uh, 14 years of age. When Jackie showed up and began to reach out in mercy and kindness, Apec and his associates told her, in all certain terms, you better go. Just get out of here. You are no good. Go find some people who will appreciate what you're doing and be grateful for your kindness. We will only hurt you, exploit you, and kick you around. Why do you stay? Why do you care? Jackie said, I stay because that is what Jesus did for me. I, he did not want, I did not want him either, but he did not wait until I got good and wanted him. He died for me while I was hateful enemy. He loved me and forgave me, and he loves you too. No way, shouted Apec. Nobody could love us like that. We rape, we fight, we steal, and we stab. Nobody could love us. She explained how Jesus did not love what they did, but he still loved sinners and was willing to forgive them. Ape repented down there on the street and received Jesus Christ as his savior. Not long after that, Ape was attacked by, young, by a gang of youth and was beaten mercilessly with bats, or baseball bats, so to speak, when his friends vowed to revenge, Ape said, no, I'm a Christian now. I don't want you to fight back. What transport transformed Ape? What accounted for his readiness to forgive his enemy? It was his realization that Jesus Christ had absorbed him the consequences of his sins. See, so forgiveness, it is not what we think, like in five minutes we talked about, it is deciding to live with the painful consequences of another person's sin. You are going to have to live with it anyway, so you might as well do with it without bitterness. Resentment, malice, grudge, and hatred, they tend to destroy you and your soul, your name, your reputation, and become a prisoner of yourself and a handicap to the kingdom of God. And grace, some of us have been that. And until we do that, God cannot use us. God is willing to use a clean vessel for his kingdom. Number two, God forgave us in Christ by canceling the debt we owe him. That is to say, we are no longer held liable for our sins and in any way made to pay for them. And if God is not asking you to pay for them, he is also asking you to forgive others who have longed you like you have longed him. The way we cancel the debt for one who has sinned again is this, by promising not to bring it up, up to, the, to the offender or to ourselves. We joyfully resolve never to throw the sin back to their face. We promise we will never hold over their head using it to manipulate and shame them. We promise never to bring it up 
to others in an attempt to justify ourselves or to undermine their reputation. We promise never to bring it up to others, to ourselves, on the ground of self-pity or to justify our resentment to the person who hurt us. You know, some people just go the other way when they see the person on the other side. Uh, what are they doing here now? Why did you invite them? So we do. But God is asking us to do otherwise. Number three, forgiveness or forgiving others, as God has forgiven us, means we resolve and revoke revenge. It's not you as a mind to revenge. As noted earlier, it does not mean that you cease desiring that justice be carried out or served. It does mean you refuse, by God's grace, to let anger and pain energize your agenda to exact payment from that person. Whether it is be emotional payment, relational payment, physical or financial, it means you refuse to use your past suffering to justify your present sin. It's not how what we do. And I'm doing this because you did this to me. You do that, and I do that all the time. That's justification. It doesn't have a ground from the kingdom of God because God can say, hey, you did this to me too. I can give you my son too to die for you. So we need to think about that one. Number four, forgiveness or forgiving others, as God has forgiven us, means that we are determined to do good to them rather than evil, especially when it comes to the book of Romans that tells us this. I'm sure you have read, you have read this, but you read it for the other guy, not for yourself. <laughs> it's always the other guy, not me. Today, read it for you. It says, never repay anyone evil for evil. Take thought what is right and gracious and proper in the sight of everyone. If possible, as far as it's dependent on you, live at peace with everyone. I'm going to read that again. If possible, as far as dependent on you, live at peace with everyone. Beloved, never revenge, never avenge yourself, but leave the, uh, leave the way open for God's love, his judicial righteousness, for it is written in the scripture, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But notice the next thing you need to do. He didn't just say you'd stop. He, notice what he says about the next part. But if you, he says this here, if I'm not mistaken, he says about this enemy. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For doing this, you will heap burning coal on their head. Do not be overcome and conquered by evil, but overcome evil with the good. It would be neat. Do you imagine how the world would be if we do that? There will be no Ukraine and Russia. There will be not your neighbor and you fighting about the, how they took a little boundary from you. But most of the time we let the flesh take over. And Satan loves to use your flesh. Because let me tell you something. Your flesh has not been redeemed. Your soul was redeemed, but your body is still where it is. 
You have to subject it to the Holy Spirit so that you can walk in the Spirit. And you want, when you walk in the Spirit, you fulfill the desire of the Spirit, not the flesh. And that's what Paul is trying to say here. Have you noticed when you don't fight somebody who was expecting a fight, it will deflate them? And sometimes they get angry because they wanted you to fight. And if you walk the other way, you say you are weak. Let me tell you something. The person who is strong is a person who refused to throw the punch. It is very easy to throw the punch. It's very hard not to throw one. And especially when you know you can take care of the problem. <laughs> I remember when I went to high school. My country, high school, you're supposed to go wherever you choose. So I, there are five choices you have to choose when you do. We do natural, national exam. It's not like here where you do your digital exam. Then you're competing among a lot of because the space is like this. You have many students, less school, colleges. You have to get all A's to get there. You have B's to, sorry. So I happened to go to this high school. And you know in high school there is initiation. So this guy used to be bathed by I, the freshman. He came to me and said, you're going to give me a bath. I said, good, I'm going to give you a bath. Good, good, good. So we went to give him a bath. You know what I did? I took his head and put it in a container. I held it there. He was hollering and kicking. And then when I read to me, he laying out naked. Yeah, literally. He said, he's crazy. I said, yes, I'm crazy. I'm not going to clean you. Bring your mama to do that. Now, but the point is, I'm just showing you, when you're in a fresh, you can do anything. Now, from that day on, I noticed the freshmen are running behind me. I wonder what's going on. They wanted protection. So they knew they were with me, they have no problem. But I'm just, just saying this. We can do things with our flesh that we will regret later. Me, I didn't regret that one, but I set the pace. You have to set, sometimes you have to let Satan know where your boundaries are. Now, how do you help a person who is cantankerous and doesn't want to repent? And you don't want, you want to heap coal on their head? Let me give you examples. Why don't you take the meal to them? Give them a gift card. Yep. Greet them. Even if they don't want to. Shake their hands. You know when they don't want to? Yeah. That's what you need to do. If the baby says so. so. <laughs> you know, when you respond to those people in kind, what happens is that you expose who they really are. When you're kind to them, they start looking inward. Am I long here? Yeah, you are. So, you know that. But if you don't and fight, then you have a problem. Number five. God forgave us in Christ by reconciling us to himself, by restoring the relationship that, that our sin had fractured. And because of that, ladies and gentlemen, God is asking us that we should do the same. Notice, when you do this, be prepared also for this, ladies and gentlemen. Often the person you may refuse your overtures of kindness and resist your effort on your part to reconcile. But it's automatically out of your control. 
You have done your part. But at least try. That's what you're supposed to do. As the Bible had said a few minutes ago, live at peace with everyone who have sinned against you. Now, and the next part of that is that often when reconciliation or restoration is successful, the relationship never fully returns to what had been before the offense committed. Sometimes we deceive ourselves thinking that it's going to be the same like it was before. No, something has shifted. And you need to understand it's not going to be same or same or. Just because you apologize doesn't mean they're going to be warm up to you within a minute. That, that's the nature of human beings, so they get that straight. But you know what? That had to occur. Confidence, trust, and delight in another person takes a long time to fully recover from serious sin and sometimes never fully recover at all. But even that, if you've forgiven, you've done your part, don't worry about it. But you need to do your part. And finally, we must. Forgiveness is the first and foremost. Uh, we must empty our bank of grudge. Did you know you and I have a bank? We have this compartment that we store this junk. And you put them whenever you want them. As a whip. Against the other person. And you did this. And you did that. And... You keep going and keep going and keep going. And you later said you forgive them, but you're using them as a weapon. We have a bank, we store these things, and I put there, majority of you go to the bank and see something like that. FDIC, Federal Deposit Corporation. Now, for you who don't know these, this is Economic 101. Now, during 1930s, this it was created because of what happened in the Great Depression. And it, the government said, in order to keep unscrupulous bankers from stealing people's money, we're going to make them pay insurance for every depositor who pays. It used to be 100000 Now it's 250000 because of inflation or whatever. That means this. If you have a million dollars, you need to spread them for different banks, which are not related to each other. Because if you put your million dollars in one bank, they're going to give you only 250000 The less, it's lost. So, you millionaires here, better know that now. <laughs> so, I'm just saying. But that's not the point. The point is this. We have a bank of grudges where we store and store and store and store and store and you're walking laggardy because you have all these problems. We are junk holders. But God is asking you to empty that bank so that the blessings can start flowing in so that you can have a proper doors of eternal heavenly goods that God wants to give you. But you can't get those from God if you don't empty the, the grudge bank that you have because God has emptied his on your behalf. He is asking you to empty for the behalf of Peter and Mary and John that you don't keep holding grudges about. Oh, they have not come to me. No. Jesus came to you. You didn't go to him. So he's saying, go to them. If your brother sinned against you, remember that? You go to them. You know, 
They may be going happy-go-lucky. And you're there 20 years later, you're not happy-go-lucky, and they went on their life, you're stuck and frozen. Because they don't remember that. But you have this amygdala that kept stuck there and is preventing you to do what you need to do for the kingdom of God. Grace, some of us are there. We need to repent. We need to empty the bank of grudge so that we can go on and God can use us. God is going to do great things in this church, and the only way he can do it, you need to repent, you need to apologize, you need to settle the debts so that God can bless you. That is what it's all about, ladies and gentlemen, and there is no other way to do it. Several months ago, we had an argument, my wife and I. Yep. We, we, you, guys, you guys are saying to me or not. So we had an argument. I don't even remember what the argument was, but we didn't, I didn't apologize. So it happened, I came to Sunday's morning, wearing my clothes and I slayed like holy, and I sat down there, and I see communion. <laughs> so I said, sweetheart, you know, <laughs> you have to put a, uh, your pride aside and say, you know, I apologize, would you forgive me? I apologize for what I've done for you. And she said, she was sweet, she said, yeah, I forgive you. So I took my communion. You know what the Bible says? If you come to the altar to give an offering, and you have an order against your brother, leave it and go settle it so that you can give the offering later. See what he's saying? God does not accept your offering unless, ladies and gentlemen, you have settled the debts, like he said. Remember that parable where Peter came and said, Jesus, he was trying to excuse himself, by the way, in case you didn't know. How many times do I forget my brother? He says, 70, 70. Now, if you count that, it's going to be 100 something. But the point is, by the time you reach there, you already forgotten what the problem is and settled it. That's the whole point. Then he gave the parable of the guy who had 10,000 talents. And the master said, I want to sell your wife, your kids, and your family and everything. He said, like, master, I can't do it. Forgive me. And he was forgiven. Then he went to his neighbor and lifted him up and choked him. Yeah, the Bible says he choked him. And the people are looking at him and say, didn't he was God forgiven already? And now he is asking for pennies? And they went to the master, hey, you know he put the other guy in prison? And he called him and he said, I did this for you. You didn't do it for them. Go back in prison or two. He gave me a story about the church and God. So ladies and gentlemen, the bottom line of this is that, remember, forgiveness is given for us so that we can worship God. This Monday I was sitting in my office, and it, I realized that he revealed to me that forgiveness is an act of worship to God. Did you know that? Yeah. Now you need to understand that. Because he said, in everything you do, glorify God in it. Adronomy. Yeah, it's an act of worship. Therefore, when you forgive, God is glorified. When we don't forgive, God is not glorified. We have a bad testimony. So think about that as you go your way today. Uh, and to finalize this, I'm not going to go through all this thing here because I already have it in there. So forgiveness is an act of listening to God, saying God is a judge, and you need to allow him to do his part, not you. Thus, the thought of forgiveness is an act of worship. You're supposed to worship God in everything you do, and thereby forgiveness is first and foremost the matter between you and God, not the other person. You need to remember that. Forgiveness is not about you and the other dude. Forgiveness is about you and God. That's how it is. Because God forgave you. It's not about the other guy. Forgiveness is worshiping God, not using God. Forgiveness 
is an act of releasing to God what rightly belongs to him because he is a judge. And you're not, and I'm not. Forgiveness is not depending on the other person's remorse. They may never be remorseful. So if you wait, you're going to wait until things are frozen. Forgiveness is freedom and an expected blessing. Yeah, you get freedom. You release yourself from the, the hold Satan has for you. Because Satan would like to use you. So, contrary to what people believe, uh, feed your enemy. Put hardcore on them so that they understand what love is and you become a blessing to them. And that's what happened too. So, come to Jesus Christ and surrender in order to break the chains of unforgiveness and then live. And some of us are not living. We're just stagnated. And when you're stagnant, you die. If this church is going to go forward, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have to learn to forgive and live to know that our brothers have mistakes and we have mistakes. And we need to understand that only God can do that. And you have to be willing to be used by him. And repenting is one the step first of all we need to do. And go to the person we have offended or who have offended us and settle the debt that God has settled for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for dying on the cross for us. And Father, help us to die to ourselves and come to you so that we can learn to relate to other people as you have related to us. Go with us as we go to our respective homes and help us meditate on what we had today and be a blessing and help us be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.